I think it was, again, I said 1 Corinthians 6 and 20. You can read all of it, but it's basically admonishment concerning being holy and sanctified in your physical body. But by the time we get to, and that means everything. So by the time we get to verse 20, it simply says this. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's, which belong to God. I um, love that passage of scripture. It's one of the first scriptures that I learned when I was um, entering the faith. It's one of the ones that are drilled in you. And it's an important scripture because it directly relates to understanding you are alive in Christ or dead in him. Um, last week we talked about, well, the week before last. <laughs> last week we talked, well, the week before last we talked about how important it is to begin to evaluate where we are in God, to see ourselves for the truth of who he is in us, not just around us, but in and I ask you a question, are you alive? Because a lot of times when we think about um, being dead, we're thinking about being dead to the sin in our mortal bodies. We're thinking about being dead, oh, I'm not like the world out there clubbing, and I'm not out there doing all of these things. But as believers, we don't even look at the, the issues of, oh, my goodness, I don't pray. I don't have a prayer life. I don't read my word. I'm not showing up for the things that really matter in my life that motivate me to do, listen, the purpose that God has for me. If you've been in the body of Christ, in ministry, especially after years and years and years, and there is no purpose defined in you, you might be dead. These are the things that we need to look at. If all you do is get in on whatever you considered was your first salvation and there is nothing else happening, you might be dead. You know, we learned from the conference last week that many of us, you know, we don't think we're dead, but we're dying. We're in a state of, of being in a coma. I think the word used at the Stay Ready conference was sedation. That was a good word. And we're not only sedated to our purpose, but we're sedated to the reality of the spiritual realm that we are existing in. And I know today, and I know for us as conservators, God is moving us out of sedation. He's moving us out of those places where we are complacent, where we're satisfied living the best life in the world, but have nothing going on for God. Nothing. Nothing. And I'm here to tell you that everybody has something to do for the kingdom. And that particular posture needs to be the first one, not the second, not the third. That's where we're at. Am I wrong about us here today? What is it going to take for us to move from that place that we are in? For some of you, it's going to take shifting friends, shifting conversations, shifting habits, shifting all the stuff on the outside we're using to cover up for what's really going on on the inside. It's going to take us shifting and saying, my God, you know it, but today I know I am not okay. Doesn't make sense. We can't be okay with nothing. Are you dead or are you alive? So <laughs> we were learning a little bit about the apostle Paul and his journey in Ephesus. And part of the conversation around this was simply so that you would know that um, 
He wasn't just going in there trying to build churches wherever he went. He was dealing with real strongholds, very much like we deal with today. But no matter what was around him, he was able to push through and serve the Lord. I know that this is, I'm going to go to a different passage of scripture, so just bear with me as I flip my page. Because we really need to look at this. We're going to go to Acts 19 again. We didn't finish that last week, but I want to just go back there. Walk with me. This is going to be different. I haven't been teaching like I normally do. We'll probably be all over the place. I know we'll get to a point. I only have like three slides, and most of this is going to be walked through just by reading through the scriptures. But God has me back there like I used to. Let's just open the Bible, see where it lands, and teach. So um, in Acts 19, um, if you don't know... (laughs) You know, there's a lot going on in Paul's life and a lot of work, but he's about to be in the midst of a riot. And in your holy imagination, we're going to tell this story. If you know anything about riots, and I'm talking riots as we understand riots. Not riots of our imagination, not imaginary riots, but real, 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 real riots, real trouble. So... Around Acts 19, it it says this. I'm going to start at the beginning, but I'm going to move over to 23. We know that this is the Temple of Artemis. I had a book I wanted to share with you as a resource, and I'll share it next week, but I left it right there on my um, desk in my office, but I'll tell you about the book real briefly. I bought the book probably about 15 years ago, so my book is old, but I would love for you, listen, if you're... Well, no, I'm not going to say that. For the leaders of the conservatory, because I know you are better able to handle the things that, that are like this, but the Bible has a lot of listings of gods, false gods. And so I bought this book of mythology. I have several books. I have um, the Egyptian gods, um, the ones in Asian gods. I have... Um, the Greek gods, because the Greek gods took so much of Paul's time, but I've also studied Babylon and, you know, the, the gods of those times. But if you're looking at conversations between, um, I guess, um, the patriarchs of the Bible and the people they're leading, whether old or new covenant, when they're coming against certain idols, I behoove you to understand what they are. But don't do a Google search. I would put for you guys, conservatory, with in library because that stuff online will mess you up because most people are messed up especially if they're spiritual i don't study like that i'm not looking for what some prophet said about a god i want you to do a historical study and then bring it in context of the scripture i did a whole series on how to study the bible like a scribe and it's amazing. We don't, we don't go through the Jewish way of studying. I'm giving you some practical stuff. And for most of us, we have to be in a place where we can see context. Because without context, we'll come up with anything. So this is why I study the way that I do. But it's, it's a book, and it's called um, The Mythology of the Bible. It's a giant book. It's probably the size of this podium. When you open it up from left to right, it has every God you have ever heard of ever that's mentioned in the Bible. So in this place that he's in, just like some of us are devout in our faith in Christ, they're like this for their false gods. So I'm going to read this to you. I'm just going to set it up. And I want to see, I want you to see, because I showed you the last time we talked about this, how Paul responded when people weren't receiving the gospel. He didn't beg, he didn't plead, he didn't pick it. He didn't talk about them. He he didn't do any of the things the church does today. He gave them the gospel, and if they did not receive it, he left them to themselves. But here we are. So this is on the backdrop of all of that. You don't even see them discussing the spirit of this and the spirit of that. They didn't do that. But it didn't mean they didn't know. Right? Why would they mention these guys if they were irrelevant? So we go to verse 19, chapter 19, and we get here. I'm going to start at about 
21. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. This is the Bible of the Conservatory. It says, after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. And it's a capitalized way. So this means that people were fighting over the teachings of Jesus Christ. Are you following me? A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. In other words, he was prospering left and right. And he was networking, hooking people up. But remember what Artemis represents. <laughs> Artisan is a gender neutral God, a moon God, fertility. And in this dichotomy or, or this um, hierarchical system of gods, you're going to find Diana. You're going to find um, all kinds of different gods flowing out of this temple because it's polytheism, right? Um, I One of the areas that the Lord... Really, you know, and I believe it was the Lord now that I'm looking at it and the way that I'm able to see the word. You know, I've done a lot of fantasy. You ask me anything about Jason and the Argonauts. This is the type of, this is the God of that. Right? So if you know anything about Jason and the Argonauts and all of those kind of things, this is what was happening under the temple of Artemis. So people believing that they're having to appease all of these deities for strength and power political uh, acquiescence. They're doing all these things for power and influence. And listen, we know today that that region is still only 1% Christian, even though Paul evangelized it. But to testimony of that is simply this, that 1% has held. So don't look at, we like to look at things like, oh my God, 99% of the country saved. How do you know? But the real question is, how in the world has the 1% been able to hold on? We're talking centuries have passed. But here you are. We are in the word. And we're looking at this. And we see that, and this is verse 26. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced. Let me go back because it's too good. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. Now, he's making shrines and killing it. Y'all following what they're saying? So he called them together, all the craftsmen, because this is one of my areas of extreme understanding, is how the marketplace works for the craftsmen through biblical history and culture. And what it looks like. And this is what it looks like. We have unions today that look a little bit like this. Are you following me? But the seed of it is understanding that the silversmiths were not just craftsmen who made silver, but they were a community. They lived together. They ate together. They understood their trade. They protected each other unto the organization of craftsmen in the, in the Bible were alliances to keep them killed, jailed, and mistreated. It didn't matter the culture. It was in biblical culture and ancient culture all together. You may say this has nothing to do with anything, but when people unify, it's still a spiritual move, whether they're unifying for God or they're unifying for darkness. They were unified. Look at what a craftsman, one man in the middle of a city was able to try to do. And I want you to see Paul's non-response. Listen. He says he called them together, the craftsmen. He called them to, together along with the workmen in related trades. So not only are you gathering together the silversmiths, but you are also gathering the architects. The other scribes outside of the Bible. You're, you're, you're gathering all of these artisans because if you don't know this, artisans rule the world. Bible. 
Artisans had as much art and politics were one. Listen, I watch a lot of things like Medici and um, Queen Elizabeth because it's true. The historical stories. And it's that with the word, but I am in the word, even though it looks like I'm in a classroom. Remember, the conservatory is an academic as well as a, as a supernatural ministry. We won't deny who we are and how God uses us because we can understand through our, our realm the word of God. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. There are two things happening here. We're seeing the impact of Paul's ministry. Y'all with me? But you're also seeing how it is tearing up the temple of Artemis. You're also seeing a picture of how the enemy rises against us when people are sold out to their gods. Guess what? When you're sold out to your gods, you rise up and riot too. Well, I'm just living my best life. And you will enjoy the rewards and the fruit of it while you yet live. But there is absolutely no reward on the other side. Are you following me? Are you dead or alive? Because they look alive. They're prospering. Let's go further because that's not really what I just pulled that out because we're there and we're walking through. Oh, my goodness. Listen, he goes on and he said, look, he's leading y'all astray. He's, he's causing us to lose money in our business because I can't sell my useless idols anymore and this is my whole life i can't sell these little trinkets anymore it's, it's eating into my income <laughs> he says that man-made gods are no gods at all this is the heathen telling us and it's recorded in the scripture there is danger not only in our not only that our trade will lose its good name but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and throughout the province and throughout the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. So when you look at this, this is why Paul walked away the first time. Remember in Acts 19? When he realized that he was getting nowhere with those people, he had to go because this is the mindset. When they heard this, they were furious. He don't riled them up now. Great as Artemis of Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. Now the people seized Gaius. If you've ever watched Battlestar Galactica, if you've ever been into it, I'm sharing this because I want you to understand how much of this is in the world that we live in every single day. And we're looking at it like it's the past. Oh, my God, I can walk you through every God in those movies. But thank God for the God. Are you following? Oh, my goodness. These people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Did you see? Did you hear that? That's the kind of unity they had in this riot. But it's, it's hilarious because look at what Paul discerns. We're going to get there in a minute. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. But see, Paul wanted to save his friends. He knew what they were up against. He knew that they couldn't be converted. So in that Senate, in that moment, he didn't even try. 
because they were closed to the gospel. Are you following me? This, and then the scripture says the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. So even among this unified group, there was confusion. Look, they were just going along to get along because there was a riot and an opportunity. Pay attention. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Are y'all with me? What if that is you? What if that is you? Let's keep going. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all. <laughs> so look, look now, they've been listening to him, friends with him. Now he being persecuted because he is bringing a gospel that's disrupting their lifestyle. But the second thing is then that then they went all back and they said, then he a Jew on top of that. And so here is Paul. <laughs> Um, let's see. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk was the, let's describe, the scribe quieted the crowd and said, men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Oh my God, who fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here. Do you see that double statement? Though they have neither robbed them, their temples, nor blasphemed their gods. Oh my God. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. My point of that is simply this. Even in the midst of all that chaos, there was never any need for them to choose anything but to be alive. Do you see how that situation played out? I believe it played out because they're walking around in a life God fitted for them. They've never moved from their positions of, of authority. They've never moved from their outlook, no matter what is happening around them. If we cannot handle the simple day-to-day -day things that discourage us, like unfulfilled promises, prophecies we received that never came to pass, how in the world can we expect to know what God is saying about our purpose and our destiny? How in the world can we really war against anything if your only warfare is when you're in crisis how can you really be a fortified city to defend yourself if you have nothing? Nothing that looks like a head. You got a few twigs around you and dust. No seed planted in the ground. But here you are with the crowd. There are a lot of imposters in the crowd in the kingdom. Are you one? This is what we're looking at because we want to make absolutely sure right now that we know where we are because being good is not good enough. It's not being good enough. I'm sure there was a lot of good people rioting that day, but they were not God's people. And they were not rioting for what's, what matters. A little bit longer without any interruption, guess what? Those men have been strung up somewhere without God. But God intervened. He stood for them. 
It sounds like I know to some of you that I am, where is she going? Where is she? I'm asking you, are you alive or dead? We're going to look at that in Romans 6. We're going to go there now. I'm not even, you know, we're just going to look at this. I may not use the slides at all. Sometimes we just need to walk through the word. Sometimes we just need to be revived in our reading. I love reading the Bible. But one thing I ask you to do in the conservatory is read the whole chapter, especially if you know you're not versed in it so that you know what is happening, that you know what's going on. While I'm looking for this, because we're going to start at um, verse 6, I guess we'll stay there and we'll walk through it. But I also want to look up this other passage of scripture. Hold on. How are you this morning? Are you well? Are you well? Are you ready? We learned that word. We're going to be saying that a lot. So, um, mm. so we have Romans six, just walk with me. What shall we say then? This, well, let me give you some background just for a minute. So this passage is about the difference between the law of the old covenant and it's about the difference between um, what Jesus accomplished through his faith. I'm not going to go through that because we've broken that down so much in the conservatory. We should know what that means. We should know that we're not saying the law doesn't matter. We're saying that Christ is preeminent and that Christ has a better way and that there are a lot of things set in place through his life, which he goes through in great detail that we no longer have to um, fight over or try to live out from a place of works because he's accomplished it. Does that make sense? And the truth of our relationship with Christ is being able to walk into what has been finished. So we won't move from that. And we have done a good job at that. But listen, so it says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were immersed into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And so I use immersed into the, instead of baptized because the term, our English, listen, how many of you know that every language has, has a different way of organizing its letters and words and some languages don't have letters? So when you look at the, the interlinear Bibles, and I talk to you about this all the time, when you're studying, please don't be using the message, the Passion Bible, the, all of it, that's useless to you. Consider that a commentary, a devotion, words of encouragement, but not the um, book of God. Because Bible means book, but we're talking about the scriptures and the books of Jesus Christ, of our Savior, our Lord. And I have taught you guys, the interlinear Bible, when you read a scripture in our language, if you're looking at the original Greek, the original Hebrew, the original Aramaic, what you're going to get is the God, love by river, John house. That's what happens. But what really happens is when you get people that can decipher intention and they did that through legal documents law you know the law books because the law is very specific and i'm loving my journey in law school because it's reiterating this point more but when you get to other cultures translating words there are differences if you've ever done ministry with an interpreter you thank god every day because they don't have the words even that we have in our english language english has millions of words most languages have very few Words are concepts, just like the original ancient Hebrew, which no longer exists, that we have um, the original Torah. And I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. But that ancient language, those characters, when God speaks, all of his written words were symbolic. The letters were words and sentences and systems by themselves. And then when you put them all together in certain contexts, they mean different things. And I've studied it, I know, but, but, but having the Spirit of God 
helps you really understand that. Don't go down that journey. Do what you're doing if God doesn't have you doing it that way. But I know the people God sends me, right? And we have to kind of understand. So if I'm ministering to you and the Bible in your country looks like this because you don't speak English, we're having to go somewhere. When I had to teach the scribe, I couldn't use the language that I use here. I had to go all the way back to Hebrew and teach it from Hebrew. I had to teach it from Aramaic because we have a common foundation from the manuscripts. Does that make sense? But that doesn't mean God isn't who he is and that he's not. He's holy and he's righteous. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live to it any longer? Or do you know that all of us who were immersed, I mean, just immersed into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through immersion into death in order that Jesus as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father. We too may live a new life. The point of sharing this with you is this. There is new life for us. Are you willing to access your new life or are you going to throw it away by choosing everything in the world system? Everything in your own desire, everything in your own direction. Well, I just don't want to do it. I ain't this. You cussing God and you're okay with it. How dare you? When God called me as a prophet years ago, I remember saying, I don't want this. I don't even know what this is. I just want to do my art. I just want to do a few poems. I didn't want to pray. But here are the people at the church. That's what God called you to and blah, 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 blah. And so I'm barely two years saved and they got me up there being ordained as a prophet. And my spirit is grieved. Do you know God dealt with me about that? I was not happy. I didn't want it. I'm not going to go into what happened, but I had a moment where God dealt with me and I've never told him no to that kind of direction again, even if I didn't understand it. Why am I sharing that? The world lives from life to death. Everything in the world is life to death. I'm not just talking about I'm going to live until I die. You follow what I mean? I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm literally talking about this image that you see on your right you see a dry and you see a cracked ground. This is our condition before salvation. Everything's missing. The ground is there. I mean, it can't help but be there, right? But so are all those cracks. Our upbringing, our, our, our experiences, all the things we bring with us are our, our Choices, our decisions are all over there on the cracked side. We're not supposed to look like that when we come into the kingdom. We make an immediate turn when we come into the kingdom. We may not feel, well, I felt it. I knew my whole life changed that moment I said yes to God. I knew it did. I didn't know what was going to become of me per se, but I knew my whole life changed. I knew the quickening that make me, that made me alive. Are you all understanding? Do you even remember your quickening? Have you had any, not emotions and feelings, but have you had, when was the last time you felt the quickening of the spirit that turned you completely around? When was the last time that you were just standing there and all you could do was go, Rabba Shatayere? 
When was the last time you're in the shower and then the next thing you know, you're travailing under the spigot of water coming down? When is the last time you've been driving and all of a sudden, all you know is raya hashakaya they say. Coming from you for hours and hours while you're on the roadway as God is dealing with you. You might be dead. Because anything in Jesus is going to be alive like Jesus is alive. Not like Teresa is alive. Not like Apostle Pam is alive. But like God lives because everything we do is supposed to bring us into likeness and image. And if everything on your platforms look like the world, where is he? Who are you glorifying? Who are you raising up? How are you lying to yourself? There's no fruit. If I were to go around the room right now, some of you would be shamed and convicted. Because there is nothing in the hand of Jesus that looks like him. The course of this world has a pattern. It moves from life to death. There will come a day when you will be no more. No more you. I think sometime about all of the Hollywood stars that used to be my parents. We don't even remember their names. Um, who that? Those things pass away, not just in a spiritual sense, but in reality. All of that reward for Marilyn Monroe was in the span of time that she lived. She's not on the tongues of people anymore. Are you following me? Think about it that way so that it makes sense. But listen, some of us are still talking about moves of God that change the the trajectory and the course of our faith. They're archived. Folks remember from generation to generation. That's why documentation is so important in the earth for the move of God because God causes us to remember not television and radio. Are you following me? We even forget our loved ones over time that pass away. We can look up and say, I hadn't thought about my dad in a year. I mean, how can somebody so important in your life 30 years later, you don't even think about them? I'm, I'm giving you a point of reference. Are you following me? Nothing lasts except God. The course of this world, the only path is death. There is no alternative. But the course of the kingdom is death to life. Oh my gosh. Let's go back to Romans 6 and then I'm going to wrap up. And we're going to talk. If we, this is verse five, if we have been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. It's not just your past rooting and tooting, hitting and hollering and all of that is not, is not just that. It's past everything. Bad thought press processes. Bad behavior. Not wanting to pray. Not understanding how to worship God. You know, at the, at the Stay Ready Conference this weekend, there was a young prophet who taught about worship. But what was significant to me about that was more of what I saw in the moment of teaching and how the, the spirit of a person can respond to the knowledge of God in that area. Are you following me? When you think about worshiping, does it just tear you up? 
Listen, because God can do in a moment in that place what it normally takes people in their own effort years to accomplish. Time accelerates in worship. I learned when I learned that I don't care how bad you feeling. I don't care how you screaming in the shower after everybody's gone. I don't care what you're doing in your car going down the road. Those who really are pursuing God know that all they have to do is enter a moment in time. And even though the situation might not shift your attitude, your view and how you look at that thing changes. When I see people that can't move forward, they have no worship. They don't. You might sing along. You might have a song that emotionally pulls you in, but if you come out the same way and you're doing this the next day, oh my God, nothing happened. Nothing happened. How do I know? Because I've been in that nothing happened place. Not because I'm looking at other people. <laughs> I got enough trouble of my own. The course of the kingdom is from death to life. Your uncomfortableness has to die. Your desire has to change. Your friends that aren't really your friends got to go. You have to be conscious of what you're putting before other people. Man is God doing that for me in this season of my life. What I present will determine my path. Even now. Am I sowing into this? Or am I over here trying to be nourished into image and like it matters. It matters and we wonder what's wrong with us. Can't no prophet live over there in that crack ground. Can't no anybody live over there, regardless of role or purpose. How horrible to live our whole lives without accessing the God on the inside of us to know why we are here. I'm not talking about what you're going to do for the next 20 years, but why are you here? Why are you standing in the gap in your own soul, making sure that you are moving daily from darkness to not to light? How? If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. And we know that he's talking about the, the, the second coming here. Well, I always like to say the third because the first was um, his resurrection from the grave. The second is when Christ is resurrected in you. And the third is when we're with him. That's how I like to see it. And I believe the Bible teaches us that. And I encourage you to study that out. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, but that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So where is the death that we need right now? We need the good kind of death and not the death in the cracked spaces. Now, if we died in Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And I'm not saying we need to go out and die, die again, because that's not, we can't do that. I mean, we only had one death. But this place, we have one death in the natural. And we have an opportunity to have one death in the spirit. Are you following me? But that death is twofold. You're going to be dead to God or alive to, or alive to him. Because the truth of the matter is life in Christ is eternal. It's continuous. It doesn't end because his body leaves this earth. We're going to go into worship in just a few minutes if Kevin can come. But we have this place where it says, 
Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. It comes back to this place that I'm sharing with you today. This one place. Hear me, hear me, hear me. You need to figure out what wickedness looks like to you. You need to see what the scripture says because it's not just all of this outward behavior. It's really what's happening internal that no one can see. Are you with me? Are you with me? So I'm just going to take a few minutes right now. And I'm just going to ask you to be honest about whether you are dead or alive in your faith right now. And then we're going to talk about how you're going to fix all this with God. How you're going to start making decisions to turn it around. I'm getting back to myself. I've not been myself. And listen, we've got to teach messages that causes us, listen, to be everything we were ordained to be. God did not put you here in the earth for you to do nothing but clap and feel good and be disillusioned by a prophetic word concerning your destiny or your purpose. This is not God's desire for us. I dare say I'm greater than anyone in here because I'm not. In the eyes of God, he loves each one of us the same. He tells us he has no respect for a person. There's no favorites. The only thing we can do is thank God for the assignment we have. That's it. And be grateful. And listen, know if you understand the matrix of our faith, that's all I got to say. Then you know how each part each piece on the chessboard is dependent of the other. We're an interdependent community. We live interdependent lives. I'll never forget one day when I started believing that I was an apostle. <laughs> when I started coming in and out of that. I knew that my precision was between me and God and that all I had to do was walk in and out of the rooms however God wanted to use me. We are vessels. I love the use of that word vessel in scripture because, you know, we first understand that we are on the potter's wheel. Secondly, we understand that all we can do for God is what he wants us to do. But when we say, if you're going to use anyone, you can use me. Do we really understand? Because we don't mean it. Some of us right here are doing nothing for God. Nothing. Within ourselves. I'm not talking about giving people gifts and being nice. No one is hearing about Jesus. No one is seeing your lives lived in a way that gives you purpose and honor him. We spend our lives focused on us and fighting him. Because it's really fighting him. Well, he's not fighting you back. He's just looking at you beat a brick wall. Because the scripture tells us that everything we need for life and, and, life and godliness is already on the inside of us. I thank God because I can live my life. I, I'm open to prophecy now. I've been closed to it for a very long time. Some of y'all know how I am. I don't let certain people prophesy to me. But that's changing because I understand now that there's real words coming. Right? We want to get to a place in our lives where it doesn't matter whether we have a prophetic word or not. We have the word. We want to get to a place in our lives where we know why we are here. I know why I'm here. I don't battle that. I don't have to scream it or shout it either. Know what God has promised me. And it blesses my soul when I run into somebody who sees it. But I want that for each one of you. I want the precision of it. There's no plan for how you get here. Every plan is individually tailored. 
but the process is the same for everyone. If you don't put in the work, if you don't move towards your healing, you can only hear God at the level you are. Mm -hmm. An example of that, I'll never forget, I had this prophetic word one time. The Lord said, you're going to make a great first lady. The Lord said that you're going to be preaching the gospel all around the world. And I mean, look, I'm going on and on about all the things, but everything was steeped in our understanding of a woman's role. Are you following me? Every part of that word was about placing me where they believed their doctrine said women can't preach. And everything was tailored on that and dependent on my spouse. Look, God didn't tell me that. Are you following me? I wasn't hearing that. And I just, but I received what she was saying, but with the right understanding. People can see, but they can't see past what they want to believe and what they've already established. And we've talked about that. We've taught that a lot in the conservatory. But guess what? That applies to you concerning yourself. Mm -hmm. So we're going to revive you this evening. I'm going to ask you to stand. God wants you to believe in yourself. Again. This isn't a blind saying, believe in you. This is not affirmations. I'm not talking about that. This is not the be your best self conversation. May I have some water, please? Um... This is this place of believing what God has said concerning you and yielding to him bringing you into a position in your heart and in your life in which, um, take that top off for me, thank you, in which you can um, begin to do the work to position you there. Are you ready? Listen. Apostle John needed probably laughing right now. But seriously seriously we have to we have to turn this around some of the things that you are dealing doing that look good on the outside is shielding a whole lot of pain a whole lot of anger a whole lot of misplaced clarity or you think you have clarity but it's not it's it's confusion and you're blaming God, and he's done nothing wrong. He said, everything I've given you is on the inside of you. But we have to marry that with God's word. We have to marry that with being honest about where we are right now, right? Hallelujah, God. Glory to your name, Father. Let's pray.